Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hello, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to this week's Cyberchurch broadcast, where we're reaching people all over the world. Matter of fact, we're reaching one billion people. That's our goal. We're not doing it just yet. We're reaching millions right now. As a matter of fact, this broadcast, this Cyberchurch broadcast, is uh, broadcast into every nation in the entire world. That is pretty phenomenal. I'm telling you something. God has opened so many incredible doors to us. And I want to say a big old thank you to all of our world changers. World changers are the people who make it financially possible. You know, we don't talk a lot. We don't take a lot of offerings. We don't talk a lot about money. And I'm not going to start talking a lot about money today, but I'm telling you this. If you're wanting to invest in uh, reaching a billion people, developing them into disciples who then reach people that live as overcomers connected to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, then, then consider becoming a world changer, helping us change the way the world sees God. Listen, we are talking this, this month about what I think is one of the most foundational series that I have. It's called Three Days That Change the World because everything about our faith is based on what happened on the cross, in the grave, through the resurrection, and in the Holy of Holies, in heaven. And sadly, almost all that we believe about Jesus, and, and, and you know, I, I, I'm convinced that, that Christians all over the world believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. But, but you know, the, the apostle Peter made an interesting statement uh, in one of his epistles where he said, we're receiving the end or the goal of our faith. Now, in context, he's talking very specifically uh, 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 that we receive the goal of our faith based on the knowledge the experiential knowledge that we have of Jesus. So one of the things we have to realize is that, is that we only have the ability to operate faith for the part of the gospel that we have heard. And if we haven't heard it or read it for ourselves, we can't know it, we can't believe in it, we can't operate faith in it. And so when you consider that the power that works in us uh, was modeled to us by the life of Jesus, but what we believe about the life of Jesus is not really the source of how resurrection power works in us. The source of resurrection power is our faith and our fellowship in the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the subsequent uh, uh, inheritance that we received when He entered into the heavenly holy of holies, when He sat down at the right hand of the Father, received the inheritance. And sadly, people who believe in the death, burial, and resurrection know nearly nothing about what Jesus accomplished and therefore obtained for us through the resurrection. So the problem is not a problem of, of unbelief. The problem is a problem of, uh, of ignorance, of just unawareness, not knowing specifically what to believe? What did Jesus actually accomplish? You know, today I, I feel like I feel like with the title of today's message, uh, we're, we're, it's it's one of those things where you almost feel like you're trying to be uh, 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 
create suspense. And, and to a certain degree, we are because we're talking about we're talking about the death of Jesus, the real story. You know, one of the things I enjoy sometimes is is watching documentaries where you know you've seen how the news covered what happened in somebody's life or what was going on in somebody's life or or in a particular country or a particular situation. But then when you watch a, a documentary that actually presents the facts, you get the real story. You get past the media hype. You get past the superficial things uh, that people just want you to believe uh, about about some someone else. That's kind of the way it is with Jesus and religion. Religion has some things they want you to believe Religion has some things that it does not want you to know and believe because to know and believe that, number one, would cause you to live as an overcomer, cause you to live in personal victory. But even worse than that for religion is it would set you free from the control of people who have religious agendas, people who use the gospel for their personal power and their personal enrichment rather than using the gospel to serve other people. So, you know, we're talking about we're talking about the death of Jesus, the, the real story, what really happened. You see, if I'm going to believe the truth about the resurrection of Jesus, I've first got to know the truth about what happened on the cross and what happened in the grave. We read the scripture uh, last week in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And, all, and so pa Paul is saying, uh, uh, this is where I always start with the gospel. You know, Paul talked about glorying in the cross of Christ. Paul talked about how that he preached the cross of Christ, not, not the wisdom of men, because when you preach the wisdom of men, your faith is in the, is in the, uh, the craftiness and the inside of the man preaching the message. But when you preach the cross of Christ, you're taking people to a place where they have to decide what they believe about God, what they decide about the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and that's where the power is. And last week we talked about the fact that this had to be based on uh, uh, what the scripture says was accomplished, not just what my denomination says, my mom and daddy says, or what somebody says. You know, standing, I was standing yesterday talking to one of my grandsons, and he said, you know, granddad, I, I've got this, this thought. He said, I just want to run it by you. So he gave me a, a thought about, you know, about a particular scriptural concept. And so I didn't answer his question. We just talked a little bit. And I kind of asked him some things and made some statements to get him thinking about what he said. And then ultimately I brought him to the place where I said, now let me ask you this. Uh, where in, in the scripture did you come up with that, that idea? And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying, where did you come up with it? And he finally said, well, I, I, I don't know. I just, I just thought that just made sense to me. And he says, am I even close? And I said, no, son, you're not, you're not even close. And I said, there's nothing wrong with having those ideas as long as you go check them out in the Scripture. Well, see, the problem is we come up with ideas or people give us ideas. We never go back and study the Scripture and see if that idea is scripturally based. If it sounds good, if it appeals to, to how we already think, if it appeals to our ego, if it makes us look bright, intelligent, then, then we want it. So many times we're rejecting the cross of Christ in favor of some interpretation of the cross of Christ that has no power in it. First Corinthians, uh, uh, you know, Paul was writing to these Corinthians believers, and man, they were arguing about uh, about uh, who baptized them, and you know, uh, and therefore 
uh, what anointing did they have and all that kind of nonsense. And, and Paul says, uh, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. In other words, once I remove myself from what the scripture says about the cross of Christ, then even though I'm using the terminology, the cross of Christ, even though I'm talking about faith and what Jesus accomplished through the cross, that I am actually nullifying or neutralizing what could be happening in my life because I am not basing it on what actually happened. The scripture tells me what actually happened through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. In Galatians 6, 14, Paul said, God forbid that I should have boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know, sometimes I want to tell people, if you've got a problem where you're being drawn into a carnality, you're being drawn into the world, you're being drawn back into sin, you know, you just need to go back and visit the cross, but not just your version of the cross, not just your imagination of the cross, but to, but to go back and, and, and reconnect to God based on what the Scripture says about the cross of Christ. Now, I could go on and on and on about the Scriptures about the cross. That would be a, a, a powerful thing right there. Just look up the Scriptures about the cross of Christ and ask yourself this question. How much of what I believe about Jesus' death can actually be supported by Scripture. Now, I'm going to give you one of these little mini lessons here, and I'm telling you what, this is a lesson everybody needs to get. People have this weird, unscriptural, ungodly idea that somehow God changed from the Old to the New Testament. And somehow, you know, God is viewed as wrathful and angry, and Jesus is viewed as sweet and kind and loving. Well, the real truth is, uh, the only reason we view God in the Old Testament as, as wrathful and vengeful and, and, and fearful and is because that's what we have been taught and that concept came straight from the devil. The whole idea that, that the Creator God is wrathful and trying to oppress you with commandments and that you can get free from that with knowledge, all of that is a Luciferian lie. And, and I will tell you something. Every denomination or every belief group in the world has some Luciferian theology or Luciferian doctrine woven into our theology at some point here or there. We just don't want to, you know, and we'll discover it as we read the scriptures and we'll weed it out, but we just don't, don't want it to predominate and, and base our major belief about the cross of Christ on Luciferian theology. Because you see, the Old Testament was meant to teach us about how to walk in love. All the commandments tell us how to relate to each other if we have the intention of walking in love and if we have the intention of treating people the way God actually treats us. Then Jesus comes on the scene, and through the Gospels, uh, we get to see uh, God's true intention and true interpretation of all of those scriptures. We can get past all the, all the religious legalism, negativity, uh, 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 the concept of the wrathful, angry God. We can get rid of all that, and we can get rid of the idea that the commandments are, are legalistic because they are not legalistic. If you are yielded to the grace of God and committed to walking in love, you will fulfill or bring to completion the commandments. You, you will do the commandments even though you're not doing them to earn anything from God. You're not doing them to be made more righteous. You're doing them because, because that is how God said to treat people 
if you're committed to walking in love. And so Jesus gave us the proper interpretation, the proper application of the Scripture. And then the apostles, it's amazing, I'll tell you, <clears throat> it's amazing how many people reject the Gospels and think they're going to understand God out of the epistles. Well, you know what? The Apostle Peter said that Paul's writings were hard to understand, and a lot of people twist them to their own destruction. Well, I'm going to tell you this, and, and, and God spoke this to my heart, and I have a few other friends you know, that I've talked to over the years that, that God has spoken this very same thing to them. But I can remember in 1983, sitting in a conference with some of the greatest faith teachers in the world, good men, men that I still respect, men that I still value. And I remember one of those men just speaking very adamantly about the fact that, that you know, people who live by faith and spiritual New Covenant believers had to live out of the epistles. And man, I'm writing notes about it. I'll, I'll never forget the Lord spoke to me and he, said, he says, if you don't stay in the Gospels, you will lose touch with Jesus. You'll lose touch uh, with God. If you want to understand God, stay in the Gospels. And I didn't, I didn't realize what that meant, you know, at the time. But I'm going to tell you something. The, the epistles did not expand on what Jesus said. Jesus gave us the way to see, understand, interpret, and apply uh, the Word of God. He showed us the motive for everything that God ever did. What the epistles do is they take those same commandments because Jesus' teaching was all based on the commandments, motivated by love. And, but they take those same commandments and show us what that would look like in a church setting where people are seeking to live in an ungodly world. They're no longer in the nation of Israel where the national laws uh, require you to live by God's ethics. Now, instead of the... Instead of the nation of Israel and that representing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God's in the heart of individuals because we're living in a wicked world and, and this has to be, this has to be our kingdom that we enter into, into our heart. And so there is no incongruence, no inconsistency, no contradiction between anything God ever said or did in the Old Testament, anything that Jesus ever said or did, or anything that any of the epistles have said. And so, so we have, we have this incredible confusion. You say, well, what's that got to do with the cross of Christ? It, it comes down to this. You know, truth is an interesting word. Truth in the Hebrew language. And the Hebrew language is such an incredible language. It was the language that God chose. And I'll tell you something. You know, April the 28th, we are having a conversations from the heart of God one day conference that you can attend online or you can attend here in Huntsville. And you can learn how without having to memorize a bunch of stuff. You can learn how in one day to do incredible translation and interpretation work that will give you insights into the heart of God, the love of God, the message that Jesus brought us, and, and even everything that the epistles teach us because you see there's absolutely no contradiction. But in the Hebrew language, every word not only has its own meaning within the context of the Scripture, but every letter in every word has its own meaning. And you don't, you don't fully understand that word and you haven't even prepared yourself fully for how God's going to teach you how to apply that word until, until you bring all these pieces together. Well, the, the root of, of Hebrew words nearly always have three letters, sometimes four. And among other things, where those letters are in the alphabet have, um, have a lot to do with how we understand them. And 
the first letter in, in our word, in the Hebrew word for truth, comes from a, a very early in the alphabet. Another, the middle letter comes from the middle of the alphabet, and the last letter comes closer to the end of the alphabet. And, and what it's telling you there is that, is that truth has to be, has to include and be congruent and consistent with, with, with what happened in the beginning, what's happening now, and what will happen in the future. Well, I want to tell you something. The cross of Christ is there in the beginning of the Scripture. Matter of fact, uh, the prophecy of the cross of Christ is given in the Garden of Eden where God says that through the seed of woman, uh, you know, out of the seed of woman, that a you know, deliverer is going to come. And I'm, I'm kind of uh, uh, broadening this a little bit just so you'll understand it easier. And it says that, 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 that the seed of the woman will crush the head of Satan or the serpent, and that the serpent will, will strike the heel of the man. And that's the very first prophecy about what would happen at the cross of Christ. Now, the amazing thing about that is, first prophecy is talking about us totally defeating the devil. And most believers today, because they don't know what happened to the death, burial, and resurrection, are afraid of the devil. They're doing spiritual warfare as if they need to keep fighting the devil. Which, let me say, if you're struggling with that, if you're afraid of the devil, if you feel like you got to fight the devil all the time, get my book called Satan Unmasked, and I'm telling you something, discover what happened to the devil through the cross of Christ. So, so from the very beginning of Scripture, all the way through the book of Revelation, we see what happened and the benefit of the cross of Christ. Now, but let me say this, because I was sharing Old Testament gospels, epistles. There's, there's such a continuum and a paradox in all this because we can't understand the New Covenant if we don't understand the Old Testament Scripture, the feast, the sacrifices, and all of the typology of the Old Testament. And sadly, most believers today don't know much about the Old Testament, so that means they don't know what the Scripture said about the cross of Christ. But let me go on to say this. But we can't properly interpret the Old Testament without the Gospels because Jesus showed us the motive from which we had to understand everything God said. He showed us what it would look like in application. He made us understand it by His teaching. And then, of course, the epistles show us the application of all of that in the church setting. So what does the Scripture really say about the death, burial, and resurrection? What does it say? Well, Isaiah 53 is the place you always want to go to when you start looking at what happened on the cross of Christ because this is the clearest, most definitive place that you can go to to look at the cross. You know, Isaiah 50, um, 52 points out that the reason people hate God and blaspheme Him is because of the oppression that has been brought on them by their leaders. And so people misrepresenting God, causing people to blame God for the source of their problems, causes people to blaspheme God. Isaiah 53 tells us what Jesus did about that on the cross. And then Isaiah 54 goes into the covenant of peace that God made as a result of the cross. So I'm just going to go through it and we're going to start reading scriptures. I'm going to start in Isaiah 53, I think it's verse 3, where it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Now, when you see these words, sorrow and grief, in the Hebrew, these words have to do with emotional and physical pain and sickness. So right off the bat, we start seeing that every aspect of the, of the emotional and physical pain uh, that mankind experiences 
experiences in life as a result of sin, as a result of the curse of the law, that Jesus himself bore all of those sicknesses and disease. And as a matter of fact, it, it, it says in verse 4, very interestingly, it says, surely, and when it's talking about these, these griefs and sorrows, and look it up, you know, get you a Hebrew lexicon, go on, go on online, or, or, or attend my, my uh, conversations with, with the heart of God uh, a seminar, and, and learn how to do this research. It goes on in verse 4, say, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. In other words, he's not suffering emotional and physical uh, sickness and pain and, and disease and then ultimately death. He's not suffering that because of him. He's suffering what we should be and would be and are suffering until we know how to let that go and give that over to what Jesus accomplished on, on the cross. But he, he goes on to say, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Jesus was stricken by God. Jesus was smitten by God. In other words, everything that Jesus faced on the cross, the Romans didn't do it to him. The devil didn't do it to him. God himself did this so that he would never have to do this to us so that he would never have to pour these things out on us so that we would never have to pay this price. You know, the Bible says we owed a debt we couldn't pay and he paid a debt that he didn't know. And the debt that he paid was the debt that I should have paid. And so everything that happened on the cross was, and through the death, was something that you or I would have had to face. And anything that Jesus didn't face through his death and burial and resurrection. If he didn't face it, then that means it's left for us to face after we depart planet Earth. Well, I got news for you. I'm going to go immediately be in the presence of God, and so are you, because I'm not going to have to go through that battle like Jesus did. He's already fought the battle. Verse 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. So you start realizing Jesus... All of this that happened to him was a wounding and, and a bruising, if you will, for our iniquities, for what we, the world, have done. And so we don't have to be afraid. Matter of fact, the next part of this says the chastisement for our peace was upon him. I don't have to have to face chastisement. I don't have to face brutality from God. It's not a matter of penance. I don't have to be punished enough so that I can finally have peace with God because Jesus took everything that we would call chastisement today. You, you know, the word chastisement that's used in, in the book of Hebrews and the book of Psalms uh, that's translated chastisement is a different word. And that's talking about child training. You see, the chastisement we go through is child training, the way God would train the child that he favors. This word for chastisement here is a stronger word, and it's talking about this brutality. We don't have to pay penance to have peace with God because Jesus paid that price for us. And it says, and, and then the next part of that verse is, and by his stripes were healed. Well, that word for stripes is actually in the Hebrew Old Testament and in the, and in the Greek New Testament, the word bruising. Now you remember in the previous verse, it says, uh, for our, his uh, wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. And by his bruising, we are healed. So everything that Jesus was bruised by, and, and let me, let me just help you understand this. The stripes 
that the Roman soldiers put on the back of Jesus have nothing to do with our salvation. Those are not the stripes that bring us healing. The bruising that the scripture is talking about, as we will see in just a moment, is the bruising that God himself laid on. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and read the next verse. It says, and the Lord, talking about God the Father, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus became, the apostle Paul says, he became sin. Now, I'll tell you something. I haven't met one and a million Christians in the world that believe that. They'll quote that verse. They'll say Jesus sort of, kind of, might have carried sin. He might have got a little backpack of sin and slipped it on and carried it for us so we don't have to carry it. No, that's, that is not what he's saying. God, and in, this, and in the original language, is saying the iniquity of all of us violently rushed upon him. And then, of course, he took the bruising. He took every penalty that we would have had to face. He, he, he paid every price we would have to pay. He was our substitute, our intercessor, if you will, our intermediary in every single way so that we do not legally have to face in any of those things. Verse 8 says, For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. Uh, man, I'm telling you what, this... This starts unraveling. I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm rushing through this. We could spend an hour on every one of these verses. Verse 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. God was pleased with bruising him. And it goes on to say, He has put him to grief or sickness. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. I want to tell you something. On the cross more than anything else. It says, it goes on to say in that verse, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. Jesus on the cross more than anything else. And, and I, there's tons of other scriptures that, that we could look at here. But more than anything else, what we have to understand based on the scripture, and there are people that argue against this today. There are people that say that Jesus didn't really have to pay a price he really didn't go through punishment. There's even people who say that the truth is man never was lost to start with. Jesus went through this just to kind of help us help us believe, you know, that God wasn't mad at us. Well, that's not what the Scripture says. And I want to tell you something. If you're not taking what people preach and teach, especially about the death, burial, and resurrection, going back to the Scripture, you're going to end up believing something that the worst... You might get into heaven, but the worst part of what you'll believe, if it's not based on Scripture, it will have no power in it to deliver you. And when your life is on the line or your children's life are on the line or you're struggling emotionally with guilt and condemnation or whatever, you will have no scriptural basis for your faith because your faith will be established in the wisdom of men and not in the cross of Christ, which means it will nullify, neutrify, counteract, make powerless the resurrection life of God that He wants to work in you. Now, here's the thing you got to realize about resurrection life. That's where, we're, that's where we're headed to in this thing. And this is where we go to in three days that change the world. You cannot experience resurrection life until you have first died. And hopefully we'll get to talk about what it means to have died with Christ and to be crucified with Christ. Listen, <clears throat> 
This is one of the most important things you're ever going to study. This is the basis of all of your faith. I hope you'll check out my series, Three Days That Changed the World. And you can purchase the series at impactministries.com. But you know what? If you're strapped for finances, we have made a way where for the first 30 days, for one month, you can have access to this and many other books and series. And then just for pennies a day, you can have uh, daily access to everything, all of my resources that I'm putting out there. And now we've just updated this site so you can literally download these, take them with you, and, and have them whenever you're hiking, driving in your car, or whatever you're doing, because we want you to have these resources. I am making disciples. I'm not just having television programs. We call this cyber church because this is church. You're the church. I am ministering to you to help you become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, right after this, be sure if you're watching on YouTube to subscribe to this channel. We need you to help take this to the world. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.